This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. So how is the coronavirus outbreak linked to climate change? A new opinion piece on Politico by Wharton professor Howard Kunruther looks at how the sharp increase in cases of COVID-19 tells us more about ignoring severe impacts from destructive processes. That is what many people see as is happening right now with climate change, destructive impact that's being ignored. Professor Kunruther is co-director of the Risk Management and Decision Processes Center at Wharton, and he joins us on the phone right now. Howard, great to talk to you. Hope you're doing well, sir. I'm doing well, Dan, and it's always good to talk with you, and I hope you're doing well. I'm doing okay. My my three kids are, are being quiet so I can do the show. My dog's quiet, so I'm doing okay right now. Okay, so we're not going to the dogs, are we? <laughs> no, hopefully not. Hopefully not. All right, so let's get to this opinion piece. And, and if you can, I guess start with the backstory in in looking at this particular uh, element linking coronavirus to maybe some of the things we're missing surrounding climate change. Sure. Uh, well, I think this is a piece with my colleague uh, for many years, Paul Slovic, who's at Decision Research. And I think what really stimulated us to write this piece was that there had been research done over 40 years ago on the fact that people did not understand the nature of exponential growth. They kept thinking about the fact that if there was one corona death this uh, one, one day, then there'd be another the next day and another the day after. And that, of course, is not how the coronavirus has operated, as we know. Things have gone up very rapidly, and everything we've been hearing in the media is the increase that has occurred over time. And so what we felt was that it was important to take this notion of everyone being concerned with the exponential growth of the coronavirus and related to the challenges we face with climate change, because CO2 emissions have also been increasing exponentially and the damage that they have caused with respect to flooding damage, hurricane damage, uh, and the future damage that will happen from them, heat, wildfires, are something that we felt people should pay attention to now where we didn't pay attention to the coronavirus in um, January and February, at least in our country. Uh, And as a result, we are in trouble right now in a way that we might have had avoided it had we taken steps early in the game. Well, one line early in the piece I wanted to bring up, Howard, that that I think it's an important component here. You say early on in your uh, in your article, the human mind does not easily grasp the explosive nature of exponential growth. Correct. Tell, tell us tell us more on that. Well, uh, basically what happens is when you give, and these are experiments that were done in the Netherlands by Willem Wagenaar, just to make sure, and his colleagues, just to make sure that we give the credit back 40 years ago. And not many people paid attention to that at that time. And Paul Slovic, who is a psychologist, was aware of this piece. And the the two of us started talking about the fact that when you give people uh, uh, a, a notion of how things have happened over a certain period of time, and I'll give you the example that where you we used in the piece that you start at a, at, a, at a low value and then you ask people essentially what's going to happen in the future and we said that they and he, the experiment said this is increasing from 
3 to 7 to 20 to 55 and 148, most people, when you ask what would happen, uh, that was in, in 1974, what would happen five years from now, just had an increase about 10%. Well, an increase of 10% from 148 is very, very little. I mean, you, we can, you can take that and say maybe it's 162 or something of that, and, uh, and 10% of the correct value. So that people said that, that they thought it would be 2,100. It turned out to be 21,000. So they were off by, 10, uh, by a large, large number. And that's what I think got us thinking about the fact that this is exactly what's happening with the coronavirus. And the mind doesn't do a good job in grasping that. And so you've got to get people to pay attention to that exponential notion early in the game. Well, I found it interesting that you also note uh, something from history that I remember. I'm old enough to remember the days back in the in, in the 1970s where air pollution was a, a significant concern. Now, there's something that uh, we recognize, and I'm not sure how far down the uh, the timeline we did, but it was something that we acted on, and and obviously we've seen you know significant change in that area. You're absolutely right, Dan, and I think that, and it's great, and I'm, uh, and I'm older than you are, so I remember that very well, uh, how we, we addressed that. But it took certain disasters, it took certain events to occur before people paid attention. And I think the problem with the coronavirus is there was no disaster early in the game relative to what is happening now, and so we didn't pay attention. So I think this is, the, this is one of the lessons, I think, that comes out of the coronavirus, and we're saying, you know— there are no disasters today with respect to climate change, nothing that one can say I can't live with. But if we don't take steps to actually try to reduce these emissions in now and, and say we have to take the step, well, what's going to happen to our children, our grandchildren? What's going to happen to us if we happen to be around 20 or 30 years from now? And I think this is the, this is the real problem, that climate change doesn't bring that out in the way that pollution brought it out in the 70s. And as the coronavirus is bringing it out right now in March. I mean, that's only two months after January and February, but had we taken steps earlier, we might not be in the situation we are in today. Well, and, and as you alluded to before, Howard, uh, this was an instance where you started to hear the stories coming out of China, but we didn't hear you know, of a, of a, a full-on calamity for, for a little bit of time. And, and so it ended up being something that not only was this that the United States did not act quickly enough on. It was, it feels like almost every country where we see cases of coronavirus right now. I think that's a very important point. I'm not trying to single out the United States on this. Uh, Europe had a, has had and has a similar problem. Uh, the only country that really did act on this, uh, the two countries, South Korea and Singapore, and South Korea was able to stem this after they had a, a series of cases and they were ready for testing and preparing. I think one of the challenges, Dan, in all of this is can we prepare for when something happens in the future? Our testing has been a challenge, as we all know, and people have been complaining about that. Having enough ventilators and other things on hand, well, maybe that's a little bit different, but, you know, we, 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 in the sense that it's hard to all of a sudden stockpile things. But testing would have helped us a lot had we done them earlier in the game. And the other part about your China example is that's across the globe. So we say, well, you know, that's so far away, it's not going to impact us. And, of course, this is a worldwide pandemic now. Right. And, and I, I've seen a variety of videos 
uh, Howard, in the last uh, week or two of people, if you go back to like January, now obviously at that point, uh, it was, you know, you were starting to hear more and more about this, uh, but you had so many people here in the United States who were saying, and not only just the president, but uh, other people uh, following this that were saying, eh, it's not a big concern. It seems like it's going to be quarantined to a certain part of the world. They didn't understand the the spread ratio of this. I think that's exa- that's a fair point, Dan. And even the epidemiologists and the scientists who were concerned about this didn't feel the need at that point in January to say this will become a pandemic. And I think one of the problems uh, with the coronavirus, as we're all aware of now, is it's a new virus. And it isn't something that people understand. And it's going to take a year, maybe 18 months, for a vaccine to be developed to protect oneself against it. So it did have characteristics that made it hard to deal with that. I think when we got into February, Dan, things were a lot clearer and things were at a point where had we done certain things at that point, we might have been in a much better position than uh, as we are right now than we are right now in March. So are you hopeful? And and obviously, you know, the impact that the coronavirus is had and is having right now Still, obviously, very much a, 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 an incredibly devastating event right now. But are you hopeful that what we've gone through here will maybe turn the light switch on for some people and, and maybe start to change the conversation around things like like or I should say like uh, climate change? Well, I am very hopeful, Dan, and and one of the reasons why I think Paul Slovic and I felt it was important to try to put these ideas on the table, which a lot of other people are doing as well, is to sort of say, look, as you know from our earlier discussions, we learn from disasters. And the question is, this is a major one. This is a catastrophe for not only us, but the world. Can we take some steps to change the way we deal with these kinds of problems where most of the time we say, it's not going to happen to me. And I think if we can take steps and all of us recognize the world is going to change as a result of this, but can we have a change for the better and do certain things that we otherwise wouldn't do? And that that relates to a lot of economic problems uh, and inequality problems and dealing with low-income people and others who are really being hurt by all of this in a way that we kind of recognize maybe it is our social responsibility to sort of take certain steps, not only to prevent disasters, but to have a whole group of people who are not who are really being hurt now, not being hurt in the future, not just from a pandemic, but from other kinds of events as well and for their daily lives. So how do we go about that? Because I think that's the that may be the the, uh, you know, the, the tough element to this is that, you know, we have such division in this country right now. And obviously so many people are thinking about you know, recovery from coronavirus, it makes you wonder what that path is actually going to have to look like. Well, you know, that's a great question, and, uh, and I think the, the main reason, the main way to go about that is to really stimulate a, a discussion, not only nationally, but worldwide, but certainly starting in this country, to have enough people recognize that this is a major problem that isn't just about the coronavirus. It's about not only climate change, but a, a whole set of other events that were low probability maybe 20 or 30 years ago, but are now much higher probability and that we have to deal with this and that we can't constantly act 
by saying, well, it isn't happening to me. Let's enjoy what we have now. No one is enjoying what is going through right now in terms of being at home. We all know that. That's a major challenge for everyone, and people are doing it in different ways. But everyone wants to sort of see this over. But the fact of the matter is if we recognize that and say, can we take steps beforehand and prepare? And I will just say one thing that uh, you know about, but I'll mention it because uh, uh, this is something that my colleague Bob Meyer and I have really been thinking about for a number of years. Bob co-directs the Risk Center, and we've written a book called The Ostrich Paradox, Why We Underprepare for Disasters. And we never thought about the coronavirus when we wrote that, although we did think about climate change. And I think that if people can recognize that we do have a tendency to put these things out of our mind, and we have to reframe the problem so people can think about them now in a way that they wouldn't otherwise. So I guess the, this is a longer answer than maybe you wanted, but I, I would sort of say if we can get longer-term scenarios, a worst-case scenario of what might happen if we don't take steps now, maybe people will pay attention. Highlighting exponential growth is only one part of the story, but getting people to recognize the likelihood of these things happening over a period of time or things bad happening in 20 or 30 years, as in climate change, has to be put on the table. And maybe we can do something if people will focus on those things. Well, and Howard, I think it's, you know, you're talking about also something that is a problem that to a degree in many cases is ingrained in us is the anticipation of the problem. You know, how many times do we see something occur, a negative impact, where we are, unfortunately, we are reacting to what has already occurred instead of kind of trying to be more out front and, and being proactive in terms of dealing with it before it gets to the, to the critical stage. I think that's such a good point, Dan, that you're raising, because we tend to rely on our past experiences. And when we look at our past experiences with respect to pandemics, with the SARS and the H1N1 the virus, most people were, were not affected by that. And we say, well, look, why should this be any different from that? And that is a, that is a challenge. But I think that if we can somehow take all, recognize that past experiences may not necessarily be where we're going to be in the future, then I think we have a chance of actually trying to take some positive steps. And that's where the climate change problem comes in, because right now people aren't, aren't bothered. We have warm weather and we're, we're celebrating that it's warm in, in March, but that also may sort of say, look at what it's going to be like in the summer. And at that point, uh, we would have to pay attention. And we do mention this in our piece, as you know, the heat problem and uh, what might happen to uh, areas where the temperature will be over 90 degrees for large periods of time. Put that on the table now, and maybe people will say, maybe we better take something to avoid that problem. So well, you know, in, Howard, in terms of what right we're de- yeah, Howard, in terms of what we're dealing with right now, I think it might change, especially if we get to the spring and we get the warmer weather. If this is still going on, and you know, at least anecdotally here in the Philadelphia area, if people are not able to to be out on the beach at the New Jersey shore, you know, then then unfortunately, it's really going to hit home uh, of the mistakes that they may have made, and and they'll look re- retroactively at them. 
Well, I, I guess you don't want to wish for disasters, but if yeah. you have them, and this is a good example of having a disaster for people who want to spend time on the beach, maybe that will get people to say, hey, we better do something now about yeah. making sure that next summer and summers after, it's not going to be worse than it is right this summer. And that would be one way to do it. Howard, thanks very much for your uh, time and greatly appreciate your insight. Thank you, sir. It's always good to be with you, Dan, and I appreciate being on your program. Thank you. Howard Kunruther, uh, co-director of the Risk Management Decision Processes Center at the Wharton School, also a professor here. Uh, and as we mentioned, that the article that he has uh, up on the Politico website, so you can check it out now. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.